You're listening to the official podcast of Church Untitled, located in downtown Vancouver. We are a community set apart to bear His name, in our city, for His glory. We hope that you're blessed and enriched by this message. Here we go. A theology of family is a theology of church. Why does this matter? Because we can call this church, but the question is, does God call this church? Is this what God had in mind as he designed his church, his ecclesia, his gathering of people? Is this what he had in mind? And we're going to read a bit of scripture today so that we can know that we're locked into his word. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 6 says this, Paul writing, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What Paul is describing there in Ephesians is the church. We have one spirit. We have one father. We are baptized into one baptism. We have, um, we're one body. He's, this is how he describes the church, the people of God. And as we've said before, this tells us something beautiful. It tells us that what we have in common is the foundation for our individuality. What we have in common in this DNA series, that 99.9% is foundational in understanding who we are as a church, as a family. We have our individuality and our individual expressions, which is so beautiful. And we lean into that so often that God has individual promises and destinies for people in this room that are mutually exclusive, meaning that your destiny is different than someone else's destiny. And it's so beautiful that that's the case. But we are family. We have the same last name. We have the same father. And that's the thing that needs to bind us together in unity. That we're not so different in expression that we can't be one family. In fact, it's our differences that make us beautiful. And so when God says that we are one, it doesn't mean that we are the same. That we are one in our differences. We're one in our expression. 99.9% we're one. And so... Ephesians chapter 5 is this beautiful uh, instruction for family, for healthy families that Paul gives to mothers and to fathers and to children, husbands and wives. And in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 32, he uses this phrase, Paul, and he says, this is a profound mystery. He says, but I am talking about Christ and the church. There was a place within Scripture that Paul chose to display the profound mystery of Christ and his church. And the context in which he displayed this profound mystery was in instructions for healthy households. When you think about that for a moment, the thing that Jesus chose in our lives to display the relationship between himself and the church is family. This must trigger something in us, that this is so important that we need to emphasize this. Now, Paul uses the word mystery 
time and time and time again in his writings. But this is the only time that he says the profound mystery, the great mystery, or in other translation and translations, the mystery great. He's talking about family. Why? Why did he do this? I believe that God's redemptive purpose for this world in Jesus is expressed in healthy family. What Jesus is saying here, what Paul is saying particularly, and Jesus through Paul, is that the display of healthy family actually displays the redemptive purpose of Jesus in this world. If you want to know what Jesus is doing in this world, go find a family. A family that has Jesus at the center, that is rooted in him. And here's the beauty of what we're talking about today. This is not just a seminar on how you can have a better family life. The church is the greater spiritual family. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says this, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms. He's displaying something to the powers of the air, literally the angels and the demons. He's displaying something through his church. And the beauty of what he's displaying is family. Look how different people, people with issues and baggage, are, are moving through those things to function as one. John 17, verse 21, Jesus prays. He prays that all of them, meaning us, might be one. And he says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so the world would believe that you have sent me. There's a purpose for us being family, for us leaning into this. It not only displays the wisdom of God to the powers of the air, but it displays to the world that God actually loves them. My gosh, this is important. Church untitled as family. This is a small expression of the big picture, right? This is, what, this is why we need to fight for this among ourselves. If we're going to talk about the redemptive purposes of Jesus in this world, we have to display the redemptive purposes of Jesus in this world. We can't just talk about it. We can't just pretend to be it. We have to become it. Become is the operative word there. There's tons of grace in this room for the deficiencies that we have within family. But we want to become what God has described as healthy family. You know, we have these, I don't know if you had these times in, in your past, but growing up, going to church, we often heard things like this. We're going to walk in this room, and we're going to act like we love each other. You heard that before? That might be some surface level display of love, but it's actually not the thing that God had in mind. And we laugh about this, but it means that we got some work to do. That we can't just look like we love each other. We have actually have to lean into what it means to actually love each other. So I believe that redemption, the redemption that Jesus came to give us, looks like this. Not exclusive to it, but it looks like this. Healthy people that make healthy families that became a healthy family. God has a very personal work that he wants to do in your life. But in that personal work, he also wants to do it in between us. 
personal work that he wants to do interpersonally. So that we can be a healthy family. Jesus came to create a new humanity, not just in me, but in us together. His healthy spiritual family is what is prophesying to the, the restored universe that Jesus came to usher in. Healthy family prophesies to the world what Jesus wants to do. What does this look like? How do we do family? The first thing that you need to know is that it is a journey. We move towards what we value. Because we're not crushing it, because we're not like knocking it out of the park, does not mean we give up or remain where we are. We say, no, we want to move forward in the thing that God has for us. And so I'm just going to teach through a couple points this morning to en en enlighten us or open our minds to what family actually is so that we can have some tenets that we can move forward with. So I implore you to just lean into these things. First one I want to say is this. Let's just cut to the chase. Family is messy. It's pretty theological, huh? Family's messy. And everybody said, amen. Because family can be the greatest source of pain in our lives, right? But it is also the greatest source of promise and the greatest incubator of purpose. That's why it's worth our fights. Most of our issues are rooted in family. But if you want to fulfill your purpose and step into your promise, you can't do it outside family. This is a tension. This is why God's redemptive purpose is revealed to family. Because we have a bunch of broken people stepping into their promise and having it fulfilled in Christ Jesus together. Why is this the case? Because we overcome things in family that individuals cannot overcome. Because family touches areas of the soul that are the hardest to get to. And unless they are touched, they cannot be healed. Family reveals things that we want to keep hidden and reveals things in us that we didn't know were there. But in Jesus, the promise will always outweigh the pain. In family, we find healing for the places of the soul that are most tender. Because here's the most comforting thing about this, that Jesus is the head of this family. Jesus is the head of this family. And so as we submit to this, we submit to each other, we're actually submitting to him. That this ultimately isn't about trust for another, although that plays a factor. Jesus will lead us there, but this is about trust in him that what he's designed for family, we submit to and we say yes to. Jesus is the head of this family. And so it's his heart, his mind, his will, and his purpose that we say yes to in family. Family's messy, but let's move from there. Family is inclusion. Family's inclusion. The scriptures talk about the spirit of adoption that we come into in God. 
Romans, Paul tells us, it says that we are no longer slaves to fear, but children of God, crying, Abba, Father, because of the spirit of adoption. Meaning that we are outside God, we are outside the family of God. But when God is revealed to us through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is revealed, we then, after accepting him and saying yes to him, are then adopted into the family of God by the spirit of adoption. So the beautiful thing about the family of God is that we don't get in on anyone's approval except for God's approval. God is the one who invites you into this family. This is God's family. The interesting thing about the world that we live in is that we think that there's, oh, there is, but what seems to be the most evident thing about church sometimes is politics and personality and my way or that way or this way. And at the end of the day, this is God's family. That he is the head, as I said already. That we need to lean into what he is doing so that we can find out what it means to be in his family. So the beauty in the place that we need to start is that this is God's adoption. Here's the thing as family. When God adopts someone, we all adopt someone. We have one father, which means if, if God is the father of that person, it makes me brother and sister with that person. If my father brings someone else into my family, I then need to bring that person into family. And so because we found our father as believers in this family, someone else comes in, they become family, which means that we then, as the body of Christ, need to have the spirit of adoption. There's this thing that is running rampant in the world and rampant even in the church, and it's the orphan spirit. I'm not trying to get mystical about this like demon of orphan. It's this, this spirit that we have of loneliness. And we, no matter how much people bring us in, we cannot accept their love or accept that it's coming from a good place, that we're orphans in this place. But God, his spirit is the spirit of adoption, which heals that place. And I implore you, church, church untitled, that as the family of God, we must carry the spirit of adoption so that the spirit of, of being an orphan is cast out of this place. It doesn't exist here. We all walk with it to a certain degree. We're growing in this. But we're heading towards this ever-increasing knowledge of God as our Father and us as His children. And I'm telling you, when we lean into the spirit of adoption, it heals so many areas in our hearts. When we adopt when he adopts someone, that makes us family because our covenant is with God and his people. I'm going to read another scripture to you, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. This mystery that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. This is two former enemies. They're now in one covenant functioning as one body. This was so disruptive to everything the Hebrews knew for thousands of years that they were the children of God and everybody else wasn't. Till this moment came where Jesus put an end to all of that and now included everybody else in the fold, in the covenant, which means then that Israel, the Hebrews, the children of God needed to include everybody else in the family of God. 
And I think sometimes we get comfortable in the fact that we are the church and we are the chosen ones at times, that everybody is out there and we are in here. But the mandate is this, everybody needs to be part of the family of God. This is what he came for, to include people, to win people, to bring them over so that they might have the revelation of family. There's no insider outside when it comes to the intention of God's heart. He wants everybody in. And so if we make it an exclusive group, then it's resistant to the heart and the will of God as family. It's exclusive only in that it requires faith in Jesus. Everything else, God has made a way for everyone by his blood on the cross. Two former enemies now are in one covenant functioning as one body. As we move towards Jesus, family means this, that we move towards each other. If we're all heading to Jesus, it means we must meet each other along the way at some point. Here's the thing. Jesus says this, if you have an issue, if you've caused an issue with a brother or a friend and you've come to worship me, put your sacrifice down, put your gift down, and go make up with that person. I mean, if you're going to come towards me, you better go through the issue that you had with that person. I think some of us need to pay more attention to what's happening amongst us at times before we come to worship God. Jesus says this, it will inhibit your worship if you're not in one accord with one another. If you've done anything, if it's in your capacity to make amends, if it's in your capacity to heal a wound, go do that first and then come worship because God wants us to worship in unity together. If there's dysfunction in the family, let's deal with that. In fact, I would go and say that is worship because that's what God has called us to do. As we move towards Jesus, we must move towards each other. And if we have a hard time dealing with someone else's issue, it's probably revealing that we have an issue of our own to deal with. I think that's why God goes and sends us to deal with those issues, because we're going to stumble upon our own on the way. And so you're getting the messiness of family, but the intent of God in it. Next one, family is covenant. It's a big word. This deserves its own talk, its own series, and probably a couple of years of talks. This is something that is otherworldly to our human nature, the idea of covenant. So much so, just as an aside, God said, I can't even make a covenant with people anymore. I have to make the covenant with myself because I can't change my mind. I will not change my mind. I cannot lie. So the covenant that I have with people is actually a covenant with myself. We'll dig into that at another time. Another word for covenant is oneness. This is, a big, this is a scary word. Another way to describe this, as we've mentioned already in Ephesians 5, God calls this covenant a body. And a body has an organic covenant, right? If I stub my toe right here, the organic covenant is displayed this way. When my toe is broken and it cracks against this wall and I'm writhing in pain, my left ear is going to know about it everything stops and pays attention to the fact that I just stubbed my toe. This is an organic covenant. And what this means is that when a part of the body of Christ is hurting, we're all hurting. When a part of the body of Christ is winning, we're all winning. 
This is what covenant means. Family is covenant. This is why God uses the word body. Because you can't separate it. The little toe is wildly important to you if it cracks itself on the corner of the table. Is that sinking in for anybody? Here's what you can't say in covenant. I'm going to attend another family. Now, that's a doozy. And I get that God moves us. And there's different seasons of life and different churches that we can go to and attend. But the reason why we change needs to reflect covenant, not something other than covenant. Meaning that God is calling me somewhere. I'm moving with intention. I'm not moving from pain. And so, yes, we are the greater spiritual family. Because you're part of the body of Christ, that's the family of God. And within that, we have uh, more specific and micro versions of that family. This is a family, part of the greater family. Just as my family, Sarah and my sons, are a family within the family. There's different levels of family, and it's all family, which means that this is an intricate topic. It means that it's not as black and white as we think, which means that you're not stuck here for the rest of your life because of covenant. But it means how we leave and how we change and how we shift matters. We need to wrestle with this a little bit harder. That's why I'm leaning in here today. I don't feel like going to church today. I don't feel like going to family today. Well, if it's covenant, that shouldn't even be an option for you. I don't want to be there anymore because of this or this or this. We need to wrestle with those motives. We need to wrestle with why that's there. Because if it's so easy to dip out on family, it's not displaying what God wants it to display to the world. When junk comes up, we need to deal with it. And everybody said... Amen. Jesus' version of covenant is this. No matter how far you run, I will always pursue you. Up into and including death, I will die so that you have a place within my home. This is the heart of God. Family, and this is the last one here, is koinonia. Koinonia. And the reason why I'm using a word from a different language is because we don't have an equivalent in our language. Koinonia is a Greek term. Words that are translated from koinonia are fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation, and intercourse. And definition is this, to share which one has in anything. Participation, that's worded interestingly. Fellowship and intimacy. And the third definition is this. A gift jointly contributed. A collection, a contribution as exhibiting an embodiment of proof of fellowship. The focus of the word koinonia is this. What we have in common. Often it's translated as fellowship. Well, fellowship together. What in the world does that even mean? Let's have fellowship. Ship. But the focus of this word is what we have in common. And if we're focusing on what we have in common, it's probably not your eccentricities and your personalities and your style. It's probably something to do with Jesus. It's probably to do something with, I didn't deserve grace. 
I didn't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve to be part of this family. Yet I am because of the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. This is what we have in common. We're part of this body together. My pinky toe has in common with my nose that they are part of my body together. So the focus is not, oh, you're a useless toe. And my nose is so, like, I need my nose. The focus of koinonia is what we have in common. Not our differences, our sameness, our oneness. Are you with me? I'm teaching Greek this morning. Not very well, but I'm trying. What we have in common, which means this, that we all have a part to play in this family. We all have that in common. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47 says this. This is the early church, the first church. The moment where they had the original revelation of what it meant to be the family of God. It says every believer, every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teaching of the apostles and their hearts were mutually linked to one another. That's koinonia. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers were in fellowship as one body. And they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. And daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. And they shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. And they were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. So we get this beautiful picture of the early church. And sometimes we can look at it as a model. I don't think that's beneficial to us because that's not the world we live in today. Our context has changed, but there's an essence of it that I think God wants to translate to us today. That's why it's in Scripture. The heart behind why they did what they did. The family, um, the identity that they carried themselves as family. And so we have to dig into this passage of Scripture and understand what God meant when he said koinonia and fellowship. I think there's some room for us to grow in this. And so we can take this as a ministry model and say, we're going to sell everything and give it to the poor. We're going to meet every single day and have communion in the temple. We don't even have a temple. We're going to meet in each other's homes every single day. We can say that that's the model, or we can take from that model and say, what's God's heart in this model? What is he actually getting at as family that we need to function together this way so that the redemptive purposes of Jesus can be displayed to this world? And so we have this word partnership in koinonia, that we're participating together in this family. And partnership looks like time. You're here. You're spending your time here. It looks like treasure. Giving from a place in your heart to provide for the needs of the people around, to support those doing the work of ministry. And it's talents. Giving away the deposits that God has placed in you. There's gift things and there's beautiful things that God has given to you exclusively for you to give away. They're not for you to keep if you're within families, to share amongst one another so that the expression of the family has you in it. 
as your giftings and as your talents, it has your time and it has your treasure. You are joint uh, participators in the expression of family. And so if you're sitting off to the side, it's hard to say that you're participating as family. Joint participation or another word that's probably a more modern, modern word when it comes to this is ownership. And ownership says this, this is my home. This is my home. It's also Sam's home. It's also Andrew's home, but it doesn't make it any less my home. Of course, this is Ryan's home, but it's also your home. And ownership demands, demands that you take part in your home, that you participate in what's happening in your home. But if it's not your home, if you don't define it that way, how will you ever participate in it? In my home, I expect that my wife is going to be looking at things the way that I would look at things. My three-year-old and my one-year-old, to the capacity that they have in life, I expect them to say that this is my home. And the way they do that is by throwing their toys everywhere and going into the bathroom and playing with the toilet water and clean. Come on, guys. Family's messy, I told you. But this is ownership. And we teach them, if you walk into another person's home that's not yours, you don't handle yourself that way. But I'm afraid that some of us are walking into our home and not actually acting like it's your home. So ownership is not, I feel at home. Because feelings are fleeting. You might feel at home one day and not home the next. Someone might rub you the wrong way and be like, I don't feel at home anymore. And that may be and probably is most of the time why someone leaves a community and leaves family. It's not I feel at home, but that's a great start. I hope you do feel at home, but it actually takes ownership away because you're waiting to feel like it's home before you'll start acting like it's home. If it's my home, I'm not waiting for it to take shape. I'm helping it take shape. If it's my home, I'm not waiting for somebody else to clean it up so that I can be comfortable in it. I'm going to start cleaning it up. I'm going to start participating in the culture of it because I've decided that it's my home. This is ownership. This is koinonia. This is joint participation. What if the feeling goes away? We say this often. We have to stop following our hearts and start telling our hearts where to go. This means that we need to take responsibility for our home. And by the way, the culture of our home and the culture of God's family is to give responsibility away. That's another way that we can take ownership over our home. That I can micromanage everything in my home, but it removes the opportunity for someone else to take responsibility over something. That's why we give responsibility away. This is why we ask you to do things so that our home can grow in expression, that expression being you. So the question we have to ask is this, as family, as koinonia, are we producers or are we consumers? Got silent in the room. David said it already, talked about it's better to bless than it is to receive. And Jesus says this, he says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And we will always, we're the economists out there, we will always be at a deficit if we consume more than we produce. We've been called 
as the family of God to give away, to lay our lives down, to deny ourselves. And how many times have we heard or spoken these words or felt them and not said anything? I'm just not receiving. I just don't feel like I'm getting anything. A healthy economy in family is giving and receiving. Because of the example and the influence and the power of Christ, healthy family is giving more than we receive. Giving more than we receive. The scriptures say we love because he first loved us. It doesn't say we love because Sarah loved me. Or I love Sam because he loved me first. It says that we love each other because Christ first loved us, which means my source is coming from him. Sometimes, often actually, he moves his love through other people. It's a beautiful thing to receive, but ultimately the source is from him. So if you feel like you're not receiving anything from the people around you, go to the source and start giving away. That's what God has called us to give and give and give and give and let his love be the thing that fills you up. If you don't feel like you are being filled up with love, I'm afraid to tell you that you don't have an issue with someone else. You have an issue with God as the head of this family, because you're saying to him that your family is not functioning well, and God, you're responsible for it. I feel like I'm like taking shots in here, but it's like, whoa, whoa. And so let's change our posture as koinonia, as family, as fellowship, to give more than we receive and let God check the balance. Let God fill the gaps. Because I'm sure if we feel disjointed in that conversation, if we feel like the economy of our life is giving away more than we're receiving, I'm telling you, God is the one with the answer. And maybe, here's my leadership coming in, maybe you're the one that needs to address that in the room and not run from the issue. And say, team, family, are we actually giving things away or are we just consuming and consuming and consuming. Maybe you feel it so much because God wants you to identify it within the family. Don't run from the issues. Bring the issues up. Healthily, of course, with love. And so the scriptures, the scriptures actually don't say this. My mom probably said this. Home is where your heart is. Right? And for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, scriptures say. Or in other translations, for... Your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. And so I say it again, stop following your heart and start telling your heart where to go. Because if you follow your heart and you don't feel like this is home or you don't feel like this is family, your heart's going to leave. But if we start saying this is home and this is family, regardless of how I feel, your heart will stay and it will pursue and it will love and it will invest no matter what you're getting in return. This is what the world needs to see in our family, in the church of Christ, that we will pursue and pursue and pursue and lean in when things get hard and deal with issues when it's not fun to deal with because there's something at stake. Not just the promise of God over your life and the potential of God over your life. That's at stake, yes. But God's redemptive purpose for this world is at stake if, if the church doesn't display the wisdom of God to this world in family. 
So if we are going to move forward as Church Untitled, we talked about the stakes in the ground in this DNA series. If we're going to move forward, we have to move forward as family, towards each other and not away from each other. This is so uncomfortable for some people in this room. It's uncomfortable for me because it means I got to go places that I'm uncomfortable going. And guess what? Our world has been shaped by consumer mentality. And our churches has, have modeled that, that we'll do whatever it takes to make people feel comfortable so they'll come. But the moment that it becomes uncomfortable, that's their exit. And we as the body of Christ, the church of God, cannot model ourselves that way. We have to say yes to uncomfortability because that's where growth is and that's where healing is. And so here I am as pastor, and this might be a hard word, I didn't even plan to say this, but I'm going to say it. And everybody said, uh-oh. If you're in this church, this community, this family, and you left another family and it left another community with issues on the table, I implore you to go deal with those issues. Because that issue is not going to leave as you come here. We've got to take ownership over why things were the way they, are, they were and why things are the way they are because they'll follow. And so here's the closing call. We will not receive the benefits of family until we start functioning as family. We won't receive the benefits of family until we start to function as family. You hear me? Until you start, until you start being family, you're not going to receive family. Why? Because we give before we receive. So in other words, we can pray for family or we can fulfill it. We can just do it and pray that we are empowered by that which God has asked us to be empowered, His Holy Spirit. This cannot work without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your lives give you power, to give you courage, to give you comfort, boldness, to go to the places that are so uncomfortable for you to go. If you feel like this is rising something in you today, it doesn't mean that you just got to push through that thing and break that rock down and move with your own strength through it. Ask God to give you the grace to do what he's asked you to do, to fulfill family. Ask for the boldness and the courage and the healing that you need in your own heart to step into a mess. Because I'm telling you, that's where redemption is. Gone are the days that we avoid the messes in front of us. We need to pursue them. Because God didn't run from the mess. He ran to the mess. And if we are going to be the church of God in this city, we need to reflect his leadership. We need to be the ones to say boldly that we know what it means. We've cornered the market on family. No one's doing it better than us. So if you want family, you want home, you want to be rid with your loneliness, come over to this family. Come be with us. Come be in the family of God. And it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It means that we're moving towards, not away from. Can everybody just close their eyes in this moment? Let's stand together. Keep your eyes closed if you can, just in reflection. And going in your heart where God is leading you. 
There's a passage of scripture in Psalms to search my heart, God, and see if there's any wayward way in it. See if there's any way that it's counter to your purpose. Another translation says, see God in my heart if there's any path of pain that I'm walking on. Can we pray that together in this moment? God, is there any path of pain that I'm walking on in my heart? Am I being steered by pain or am I being steered by your purpose? And Jesus, I just ask by your spirit in this room today, the revelation of adoption, the spirit of adoption would just flow free in this place today. That we didn't do anything to earn your love, God, and we don't have to do anything to earn your love. While we were still sinners, you died for us. Without a guarantee that we would love you in return, you died for us, you loved us to the point of death. So today, right now, we receive your love. We receive your inclusion. We say yes to you, to this family. Thanks for listening to the Church Untitled podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on our latest messages. For more about what's happening in our community, follow us on social media or visit us at churchuntitled.com.